while we're continuing our series on the giants, giants of the faith, seeking to find spiritual refreshment from the lives of the faithful. And I trust that uh, this summer you are finding refreshment as we look together at uh, these various people in our Bibles, as we're seeking to find models of what it means to walk with the Lord, of what it means to live for the Lord. We're looking at those who, who stand tall as examples to us of faithfulness. The Scriptures tell us not only that we can do this, but that we should do this. That we ought to look at the lives of those who have gone before us to, to examine what it is that the pattern of their life of faithfulness looks like so that we can imitate and do the same and, and live in a manner that is worthy of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the object of our affection. Jesus is the object of our imitation. And so I hope you're seeing here this summer that we're being very careful. We're walking a fine line as we put names of other people up on the screen and we proclaim truths about other people's lives that certainly Jesus is the center figure in it all. We look at Abraham and, and David and Daniel and Moses and, and, and we look at them not to magnify them, not to glorify them, but to see from them what it looks like to live a life that glorifies God. If ever there has been a giant in the faith who's been wrongly elevated, who's been venerated unto idolatry and, and glorified and mistakenly magnified more than any other person in history, surely this person is Mary, the mother of Jesus. In reality, Mary is a remarkable example for us to learn from. She's a young woman of, of great faithfulness, but because of the abuses we see in her being the object of adoration in many people's lives around the world, we often miss out on what we can learn from her, on, on what the Word of God shows us about her heart, which is the kind of heart that God blesses. Luke chapter 1 is foremost, primarily focused on the announcement of the Messiah. It's about the arrival of Him who is King of kings and Lord of lords come in humility to this earth, the time has come, the long-awaited Savior of the world is about to be born. And yet, as we consider the account as it's given here, we can appropriately take some time this morning to examine Mary in this context, to see how she responds to this good news, so that we can take aim and have the same kind of heart that she had toward her Lord. When we think of Mary's heart, we can think of a heart of devotion. A heart of devotion, a heart of dedication, a heart of, of love and loyalty, a heart that is extremely attentive to the things of the Lord. When I think of, of Mary, I think of a, of a model of someone that the Apostle Paul was talking about in his second letter to the Corinthians when he described a Christian's normal course of life as being that of sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The heart of a follower of Jesus is a heart of devotion. This is what we should all be aiming towards. and This heart of, of growing devotion, this is what we see in, in Mary's heart as we re reflect upon her life and as 
it's about to be overwhelmingly changed forever as we see in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 26 through 55 and we're going to focus primarily on two statements made about Mary and two statements made by Mary together to find four targets upon which the devoted heart takes aim. All right, four targets upon which the devoted heart takes aim. Before we see the first target, I just want to make a couple of of notes. First, um, you may be noticing this summer, it may be obvious that there's a lot of overlap going on as we look at some of these different giants in the faith, isn't there? Even the the guest preachers that we've had come in and, and and preach for us. We, we didn't ask them to participate in this series, and yet we've, we've seen a close look at Joshua. We've seen a look at, at Ruth, along with Naomi and Boaz. And, and then we, we saw also a look at one of the other Marys in Scripture, the sister of, of Martha. And, and we're seeing some consistent themes, right? We're seeing faith and courage, and we're seeing passion. And all of this describes what? The Christian life, right? The Christian life. So it's, so it's okay that we're seeing some overlap. That's actually intentional in this series. What we want to see is a composite picture. What does it mean to follow faithfully after the Lord? And this morning we're going to see particularly from the angle of devotion. We're also going to use some familiar words as our targets this morning. And I, I just say that out the gates up front to just ask you not to get lost in the familiarity of some of the targets we're going to look at this morning. Some of the common words that we use in the church and in the Christian life, some of the words we see over and over again in our Bible, may it not just breed boredom or contempt, but may we take a close look at our own hearts in these areas as we aim for these targets to make sure the trajectory of our devotion is upward. All right? Okay, let's begin reading in Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And we'll stop there and we'll see our first target from our text this morning is this, aim for a heart of wonder. Aim for a heart of wonder. The heart of a follower of Jesus is a devoted heart, and a devoted heart is a heart of wonder. And if we read this account too quickly, as we often do, and as we often read from God's Word, we might think that this was a rather quick exchange between Mary and the angel Gabriel. It might seem that, you know, their responses to one another were just on the tip of their tongues and they were just kind of going back and forth and the whole thing was just wrapped up rather neat and tidily. But we see here in verse 29 that Mary tried to discern what was going on. This word that Luke uses here for try to discern, it's one verb in the Greek and it means to think or reason carefully, especially about the implications of something. It means to consider, to ponder, or to reason. Other translations of our English Bible uh, say instead of tried to discern, they, they translate it began to wonder or kept pondering. 
See, there's an ongoing element to what's going on here. The, the scriptures don't tell us just how long of a gap there was in some of what's being said between the angel and, and Mary. And yet we see that Mary was having um, time to process and carefully contemplate what it was that was being said by this messenger of God. This is the same word that is used about Jesus' opponents who when they asked him to declare, when Jesus asked them to declare what they believed about John the Baptist and who he was, the text says that they began reasoning with each other about how they should answer. It's the word that the scribes are described as um, going through when they were questioning in their hearts what was going on when Jesus pronounced forgiveness of sins. It's a word that describes just slowing down to to truly meditate. To seek understanding, to to reflect on what God wants to tell us. Lest we think that maybe we're extrapolating too much here out of verse 29, out of this tried to discern verb, we can see that this is actually a pattern in Mary's life. Look at chapter 2. As the story unfolds, after Jesus is born, we see Mary's heart of wonder in several ways. The shepherds, they come to visit and they share the extraordinary sayings concerning the child that had been made known to them. And in verse 19 it says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Same as when Mary and Joseph brought uh, this baby to present him to the Lord at the temple and and Simeon took hold of Jesus and he proclaimed wonderful truths about him. And verse 33 in chapter 2 says, His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Or how about when Jesus, as a boy now, some years later, remained back in the temple interacting with the teachers. Remember his parents had thought that he was with them on the way back home and yet they had to go back because he was in the temple interacting with the teachers. And it says in verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And then in verse 51, after they went home, it says again, his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. This is the kind of heart that Mary had. Mary looked and saw what the Lord was doing. She considered his message for her and for the world. And she wondered. She, she let herself be found in awe. Her devotion drives her to, to ponder and to ask profound questions and to marvel in astonishment at what God is doing. Does this describe your heart this morning? When's the last time that it could be said of you that you marveled at the Lord and His work in your life and at His promises See, our our world, the world that we live in, doesn't stop anymore to to think. To simply just allow our hearts to linger over the wonders of Christ. We're too quick to go on to the next thing. We're too distracted. We've we've lost the art of, of meditation and we would do well to come back to what Psalm 1 says, God blesses, which is a heart that meditates on His Word day and night. Mary's heart of wonder is the kind of heart that we too need to be aiming 
to have and to grow in. Asking the Lord to nurture within us so that we could linger longer in wonder over who God is. What He's done in the past, what He's doing in the present, what He promises to do in the future. That we could wonder and, and, and fix our gaze upon thinking about how we should live our lives carefully contemplating and responding to the Lord. This is what Mary did and this is what we ought to do as well. We ought to aim for a heart of wonder. In verse 30, the account continues. It says that the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And again, I don't know how much time elapses between verse 33 and verse 34, but certainly Mary must have been pondering these things. Son of the Most High. A ruler whose kingdom will have no end. And Mary, she responds to the angel. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now here, pay attention carefully to verse 8. And Mary said, behold, 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Behold, I am a servant, Mary says. And this shows us the second target upon which the devoted heart takes aim. Mary's heart teaches us to aim for a heart of humility. The heart of a follower of Jesus is a devoted heart, and a devoted heart is a heart of humility. We need to know who we are. We need to have a right view of ourselves. We need to respond to the Lord in accordance with who we truly are and in in accordance with who He truly is. We see Mary knew exactly who she was. Although her identity has since been severely twisted and distorted all over the world, she didn't have a, a misunderstanding at all about her own identity. Her heart was the heart of a servant devoted to her master. Mary's heart shows a pattern of total submission and unconditional surrender. This is a heart of humility and this is the kind of heart that we need to aim for if we're going to have devoted hearts before the Lord. Certainly she didn't understand everything. She was fearful. She had many more questions, I'm sure. But there was a bottom line for Mary, right? In in the midst of all of this, there's a bottom line for Mary and it's this. I'm a servant. 
I am a servant. Is this the honest, genuine, consistent disposition of your heart? Is this the the reflex for you in life? I am a servant of the Lord. Is this how you wake up in the morning? Is this how you carry out your days? I am a servant of the Lord. He is my master. I'm here to do His will, His way. That's the kind of heart the Lord wants from His devoted followers. There's no point faking it. There's no point pretending. You know, between you and the Lord, where, where are you in this? Is it the consistent cry of your heart that you're just a lowly servant? You're a beggar who's been given a kingdom? Because that's the, the picture of ourselves painted in the Word of God. Many, many years ago, Augustine said this. He said, for those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing. Humility is the second, and humility is the third. This is the kind of person that the Lord meets. The person who is not self-sufficient, the person who's not trying to run their own lives, but the person who yields to Him and His Word and His message. Martin Luther said this, he said he, he might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas' Caiaphas's daughter who was fair and rich and clad in gold embroidered raiment and attended by a retinue of maids in waiting. But God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. These are the kind of people Jesus comes for. Jesus comes for the lowly who recognize and acknowledge their spiritual need. Jesus himself said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize that they're needy before the Lord. A modern day commentator, R. Kent Hughes said, as we study this passage, we must accept the essential spiritual fact of the incarnation and the gospel. The Lord comes to needy people. Those who realize that without Him they cannot make it. Those who acknowledge their spiritual weakness and spiritual lack. And listen, brothers and sisters, this is true for the day of salvation and this is true for every day of our lives. The Lord comes and He meets with us when we are humble before Him. When we acknowledge ourselves to be a servant of the Lord. God doesn't bless self-sufficiency. Prophet Micah writes these words in in chapter 6 and verse 8. Put up on the screen. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is a good summary verse for all of life. It rings true to the general truth of Scripture that's repeated often again and again that that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you want to be blessed like Mary was blessed, if you want to have a heart characterized by devotion, then listen, get humble before Him. Cultivate a heart of humility. Aim for the target of humility. 
This is the kind of heart that God blesses. Often those who are um, under the authority of another, those who are in subjection to, the, to another will have, uh, and this is true of my heart and yours as well, I know, yeah, but, or, or I'm just, right? Where are the yeah, buts or the I'm just in, in our lives? In what areas are the yeah, buts and the I'm just where we're resisting the Lord's leading? Where we're, where we're trying to maintain control of our own lives, where we're not humbly submitting to his rule and reign in our lives? In what area does your confession need to change, to line up with Mary's confession, I am a servant of the Lord? The Scriptures continue and tell us that Mary at this point goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. And we'll pick up reading again in verse 39. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now verse 30, uh, 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Here's target number three. Aim for a heart of trust. Aim for a heart of trust. The heart of a follower of Jesus is a devoted heart and a devoted heart is a heart of trust. God calls us to believe His Word. What He says He will do, what He says is best and good, is in fact best and good. And Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. And and then Elizabeth proclaims under the Spirit's influence, she says, your trusting heart has found favor with God, Mary. And just imagine Zechariah at this point. If you know the story, Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, was visited by the same angel as Mary, told of the son that would be born to his wife, and he didn't quite have the same response as Mary did. And so God made Zechariah mute and unable to speak until his baby was born. And so at the time that Mary visits Elizabeth, baby's still yet to be born. So you can just imagine Zechariah standing there watching this encounter, just hearing what Mary says and hearing what Elizabeth says. And Elizabeth proclaims, blessed is she who believed. And Zechariah's like, yep, (laughs) that's how you do it. And so often we're like Zechariah, right? We're more like Zechariah than we are like Mary. We're, sl- we're slow to trust what the Lord had said. And may- maybe it's not something like, you know, the Son of God being born to us, but, but maybe it's believing God that it- it's better for us to forgive rather than hang on to an offense. Maybe we're slow to believe that it's, it's better for us to be vulnerable with a brother or sister about the sins we're struggling with than to keep it to ourselves. 
Maybe we're slow to believe that it's better for us to to serve the body of Christ, to to go to a small group, even when we're tired and, and we might not feel like it because the Lord has blessing in store for us. God says, a devoted heart, trust me. Trust my word. And Gabriel, he, he came to Mary with a message from God and as impossible as it sounded, that she would bear the very Son of God, he told her, nothing is impossible with God and Mary believed. She trusted in what she couldn't see. And we keep coming back in this series to Hebrews chapter 11. I hope you're seeing that's the place to go in Scripture when we want to see the hall of faith, the story of those who have gone before us who trusted in the Lord for what they couldn't see. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Mary was trusting in what she couldn't see. No baby yet, right? Not even any kicks, no, no bump. But she heard what was said, she believed it was true, and she entrusted herself to the Lord. What is it today that God is asking you to believe? What is it that God's asking you to trust Him for that you can't see yet? Think about it. And think about an actual promise from God's Word. This, this is important. We need to trust God for what He actually promises us in His Word. Sometimes we, we trust God to do something, and then when it doesn't happen, we feel disappointed that he, he wasn't faithful to do what we were trusting Him to do when what we were trusting Him to do wasn't in the first place what He said He would do at all. We need to trust the promises of God's Word. I, I think in this area of, of trials and suffering, there's something in our lives that we, we want to go away. And yet God says, will you trust me that I have a plan in this? Will you trust me that my power is made perfect in your weakness? Will you trust me that I'm trying to forge character in your life? Will you trust me that I, I want you to, to learn to be more and more devoted to me? Maybe it's discontentment or envy. Maybe it's not that there's something in our lives we don't want. Maybe there's something not in our lives that we do want. And God says, will you trust that I've prepared a kingdom for you? Will you trust that I'm going to send my son again to come for his people who are waiting for him? And I will establish an everlasting kingdom. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. Will you trust me in the overarching promises of my word and will you trust me in the day-to-day of your life? Mary had a heart of trust. John MacArthur said her faith was an extraordinary example of the kind of faith Jesus blessed. She was sincere, earnestly worshipful, childlike in her trust of the Lord and utterly dependent on Him. May we have more of this in our lives and in our hearts. Elizabeth says what she says to Mary and then Mary responds in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. 
For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble estate. Those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The heart of a follower of Jesus is a devoted heart. And a devoted heart is a heart of wonder. A devoted heart is a heart of humility. A devoted heart is a heart of trust. And now what we see in Mary's song is that a devoted heart is a heart of praise. That's target number four. Aim for a heart of praise. As you're seeking to make progress in your devotion to the Lord, aim to have a continuous heart of praise. Our hearts can enlarge so many other things, can't they? Our hearts can, can magnify so many other people, so many other ideas. We can make a big deal out of so many things, and yet Mary declares here, my soul magnifies the Lord. And it's so wickedly ironic that a song of praise that unmistakably is focused on the Lord's magnificence. You see, every line virtually is he, his, him. This has been twisted and distorted and ignored to be turned into a prayer that hails Mary. We hail the name of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And Mary says, I'm a recipient of His grace and I'm going to praise Him as well. She doesn't look to anything within herself. She doesn't want any credit. She's, Mary's not lauding Mary. She's magnifying the Lord. This is who Mary is. I don't think that this just all of the sudden was conjured up in Mary, uh, that nothing of the sort was there in the past. I think this is a reflection, a manifestation of Mary's heart in response to what was happening to her this day. We want our hearts and our lips to declare praise and to, to, to magnify the Lord in a response to what's happening in our lives. Mary's mind was full of scriptures. To be able to respond in this way, she, she had a heart where she had stored up the word of God. She had the hope of a savior that was grounded in God's covenant promises. She was able to process life within the scope of God's divine plan. She was watching it unfold, watching what was going on around her, and she was, she was identifying how God is to be praised for what he's doing here and now. I just want to camp out on verse 47 for a minute. It says that Mary says, My soul, my spirit rather, rejoices in God, my Savior. And I want to draw out a couple of truths here. First, when my soul magnifies the Lord, then my spirit truly rejoices. When my soul magnifies the Lord, then my spirit truly rejoices. These are one and the same thing. 
The Bible says that when we acknowledge and praise God for who He truly is and all of His beauty, then it is that we truly have proper joy and happiness in our hearts. And we go looking for it in in many wrong places. God says, I want you to be happy. I want you to be happy in knowing who I am and in praising my name. A devoted heart is a rejoicing heart. This is what causes us to, to be so full of joy. It's that our souls know who the Lord is and we ascribe to him the glory due his name. My spirit rejoices, Mary says, in God, my Savior. My Savior. So here's the second truth. We all desperately need a Savior. We all desperately need a Savior. Mary, too. So much for that false doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, that that Mary somehow was, was created without sin and lived her life without sin. Mary knew that she too, needed a Savior. She's a recipient of, of, of grace. She knows her own good works won't do. She acknowledges her humble estate before the Lord. She knows that neither she nor her people could do anything to bring about her deliverance. She can say with, with David, as he does in Psalm 40, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock. It's one of my favorite verses from the Psalms. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock. Or like Hannah, she can say, He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. Or with Paul, who in Romans 5 and verse 8 says, While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Listen, if you're here today and your heart doesn't have any kind of devotion for the Lord, I need need to tell you this morning, you need a Savior. You need a Savior, just like Mary, just like me, just like the rest of us. You need desperately a Savior. This is what keeps you from having an eternal relationship of praise and joy with the God of the universe. You need a Savior. And thus far in your life, you you don't want a master and you don't want to need a Savior. And I can relate because I've been there. There's a time in my life when I didn't want a master. I, I didn't want to need a Savior. But every single one of us who walks on the face of this earth needs a Savior. Sin keeps us from this relationship with God. At heart, we're rebels who who wander from Him, who reject Him. We're living our life in, in the darkness until we come to Christ, and yet God sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus came to be the Savior we all need. He sent His Son, born of a virgin, to live a sinless life 
so that he could die in the place of ruined sinners. And then he raised him from the grave that all who put their faith in him and his sacrifice would have everlasting life. And Mary, she, she hears that this Savior is coming and is going to be born through her and she says, how can this be? How can this be? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's what we all so desperately need. We need the Holy Spirit to come upon us and to breathe new life into our dead hearts so that we can then have a life devoted to Him. Maybe you're asking the question, how could it be that that I and my sin could be made right with the Holy God? I just say the same thing to you that The angel says to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. He can exchange your heart. He can take out your heart that that isn't devoted to Him and He can replace it with one that is. If you will just turn from your sin, confess yourself to need a Savior, don't, don't be upset that you need a Savior, okay? Rejoice that God provided a Savior. Throughout the rest of Mary's song, Mary magnifies the saving mercies of the Lord. The saving mercies of the Lord. This is the heart of of our praise. This is the backbone of our praise to the Lord, is that He is a Savior who's been merciful to us. I want to leave you with one more truth. He is worthy of our praise because of His mercy. He is worthy of our praise because of His mercy. As she considered the Lord and what He was doing for her, the things that He's done in the past, the things that He's doing right now, the things that He's ultimately going to do in the future, Mary models for us what it looks like to praise His mercy. She's amazed that an absolutely holy God would do such great things for one so undeserving as she. And she teaches her song, the heart of her song teaches our hearts to cry out things like, He has looked upon the humble estate of His servant. He, praise the Lord, He has done great things for me. He has remembered His mercy God is is seeking hearts like Mary's. Children who magnify Him, who enlarge Him in their souls and on their lips with the passion of their entire being. Hearts of, of praise devoted to the Lord. The lasting testimony of Mary's life is one that continually points to her son. May that be the testimony of our lives as well. The heart of a follower of Jesus is a devoted heart. A heart that wonders in awe at the things of the Lord. A heart that gets low in humility because we understand ourselves and who we are and who He is. A heart that trusts Him in everything and a heart that gives Him much praise that is due 
his name. This is a devoted heart. And, and I understand that devotion is a spectrum. There are degrees of devotion. And so wherever you are, may it be your heart's cry before the Lord that he would take you from one degree of devotion to the next today. That your aim would be growth in these areas of devotion. And that you would depend on the Holy Spirit to help you in this. In verse 53, God's Word says, He has filled the hungry with good things. He has filled the hungry with good things. And certainly, this does not mean the physical hungry, right? He's not talking about physical food here. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Thirst. 